0: You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek Podcast. This episode presented by Associate Minister Joel Snibson.
1: Hi, my name is Adele. Today's reading is from 1 Samuel 10, verse 17, to 11, verse 15. Samuel summoned the people of Israel to the Lord at Mizpah and said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought up Israel out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the power of Egypt and all the kingdoms that oppressed you. But you now rejected your God who saved you out of all your disasters and calamities. And you have said, No, appoint a king over us. So now present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and clans. When Samuel had all Israel come forward by tribes, the tribe of Benjamin was taken by lot. Then he brought forward the tribe of Benjamin clan by clan, and Matri's clan was taken. Finally, Saul, son of Kish, was taken. But when they looked for him, he was not to be found. So they inquired further of the Lord, Has the man come here yet? And the Lord said, Yes, he has hidden himself among the supplies." They ran and brought him out, and as he stood among the people, he was a head taller than any of the others. Samuel said to all the people, Do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all the people. Then the people shouted, Long live the king! Samuel explained to the people the rights and duties of kingship. He wrote them down on a scroll and deposited it before the Lord. Then Samuel dismissed the people to go to their own homes. Saul also went to his home in Gibeah, accompanied by valiant men whose hearts God had touched. But some scoundrels said, how can this fellow save us? They despised him and brought him no gift. But Saul kept silent. Nahash the Ammonite went up and besieged Jabesh Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to him, Make a treaty with us and we will be subject to you. But Nahash the Ammonite replied, I will make a treaty with you only on the condition that I gouge out the right eye of every one of you and so bring disgrace on all Israel. The elders of Jabesh said to him, Give us seven days so we can send out messengers throughout Israel. If no one comes to rescue us, we will surrender to you. When the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul and reported these terms to the people, they all wept aloud. Just then, Saul was returning from the fields behind his oxen and asked, What is wrong with everyone? Why are they weeping? Then he repeated to them what the men of Jabesh had said. When Saul heard their words, the Spirit of God came powerfully upon him, and he burned with anger. He took a pair of oxen, cut them into pieces, and sent the pieces by messengers throughout Israel, proclaiming, This is what will be done to the oxen of anyone who does not follow Saul and Samuel. Then the terror of the Lord fell on the people, and they came out together as one. When Saul mustered them at Bezek, the men of Israel numbered 300,000 and those of Judah 30,000. They told the messengers who had come, say to the men of Jabesh Gilead, by the time the sun is hot tomorrow, you will be rescued. When the messengers went and reported this to the men of Jabesh, they were elated. They said to the Ammonites, tomorrow we will surrender to you and you can do to us whatever you like. The next day, Saul separated his men into three divisions. During the last watch of the night, they broke into the camp of Ammonites and slaughtered them until the heat of day. Those who survived were scattered, so that no two of them were left together. The people then said to Samuel, Who is it that asked, Shall Saul reign over us? Turn these men over to us, that we may put them to death. But Saul said, no one will be put to death today, for this day is for this day the Lord has rescued Israel. Then Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal, there renew the kingship. So all the people went to Gilgal and made Saul king in the presence of the Lord. There they sacrificed fellowship offerings before the Lord, and Saul and all the Israelites held a great celebration. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
0: So it was our honeymoon and at the airport in Thailand. And I said to my wife Adele, look, I've worked in the airlines, I know how things work. If there are any issues with the flights, just let me handle it. And whatever you do, don't lose your passport. Oh, sorry. I didn't turn it off. Oh, that's right. <laughs> So it was our honeymoon and at the airport in Thailand and I said to my wife, look, I've worked in the airlines, I know how things work, if there are any issues with our flights, let me handle it. And whatever you do, don't lose your passport. So we boarded our flights, we are in our seats ready to go and Adele said, where is your passport? And I realized I left my money belt with my passport, all our cash on the seat back in the terminal. So embarrassed, I like struggled to wrangle the staff member to let me off the plane, onto the tarmac, into the terminal building to find it. Picture Adele's face, you know, okay expert. (laughs) Have you had a moment when you thought you were capable, but were left hopelessly exposed? Maybe unprepared for that assignment. Exposed by a lack of friends, but being too busy for too long. Exposed by that character flaw when under pressure. There are moments in life exposing that our best efforts fall short. Well, today we continue our series in 1 Samuel called Flawed Leadership. And in chapters 10 and 11, we'll see a massive difference between Saul operating in his own strength versus in God's strength as the Holy Spirit empowers him to be king. Just where we're at in God's story, it's been a dark time in it in the period of Israel. The ruling judges didn't stop the people's wickedness and their enemy, the Philistines, were a real threat. While there was hope with Samuel, his sons were corrupt. So the people demanded a human king like all the other nations and God told Samuel, give them what they want. And last week we met Saul and despite his credentials being respected and wealthy and handsome, He was reluctant to step into what God was calling him to, exposing his character flaws. Yet despite these flaws, God brings him across Samuel's path. And today we see Saul confirmed as king, his coronation. So Samuel gets all Israel to cast lots by tribes. This was like an ancient way of seeing God's will, like a process of elimination. And the lots fell on Saul. So we have this epic moment in Israel, choosing their first human king and he's gone missing. He bolted and was hiding in the bag room. You know, in hotels, if you check out, they normally have a room near the desk where you can leave your suitcase, you can go for a walk or something. Well, Saul was in there hiding. Well, King Charles' coronation has been announced for next year in May and Imagine all of the world leaders there, the whole world watching on in anticipation, but it all gets too much for Charles. He bolts, hides in the bag room, maybe needing a gin and a lie down. Imagine Camilla standing there all awkwardly excusing herself to go and coax Charles out. This just wouldn't happen. To be clear, Saul's hiding is not humility. It's not that he doesn't want to fuss. He's already been anointed by Samuel. He's received three miraculous signs confirming that God has chosen him to be king. But operating in his own strength, Saul was reluctant to take up what God had for him. He had to be physically dragged out to be crowned. Don't miss the irony here. Samuel again reminds the people they were rejecting the true king. The one who had powerfully saved them from oppression in Egypt for this guy who didn't even have the guts to face the crowd. Yet in verse 23, they ran and brought him out and he stood among the people and he was a head taller than any of the others. Well, last week we heard Saul was the most handsome guy in all of Israel. He was tall and strong. He could fight. God gave them what their hearts wanted. Well, studies show that even today we like our politicians to be tall and physically attractive. In a Guardian article, uh, one of the, their psychologists says that we like physically imposing leaders who can once fight off our enemy. They argue that Obama had this over John McCain in the last South Australian election. Commentators wrote about how the good looks of the Australian, sorry, the South Australian premier. Peter Melanaskis definitely helped him in the polls. And despite our human vanity, it's God who defines a successful king. And now that he's delegating his rule to a human, it doesn't change the fact that he is still on the throne. In verse 25, Samuel reads the rights and duties of kingship. He's reading from Deuteronomy 17 where God made provisions of how the king was to lead, pretty much relying on God's strength rather than their own, to lead with justice and humility, having limited military resources, to lead with personal holiness and, importantly, to obey God. We next see that God chooses the king. We see God fulfilling his good purposes, and this isn't wrecked by people completely missing up, even rejecting him. If you're checking out faith and you're feeling like you have stuffed things up, doing things your way, God has a way of transforming our failures for his good purposes. Don't miss that all that God does working behind the scenes here. Last week, we saw despite Saul's reluctance, God bringing dozens of people into his life, not by coincidence, but God pulling the strings, confirming that he is the man. And if there's any doubt, God now using them, casting lots here, so it's beyond doubt, Saul is king. God working through Israel's changing political environment from judges to kings to accomplish his purposes. Yet as soon as King Saul is installed, he faces a real test. Firstly, there's opposition, slander from within. Look to verse 27. But some scoundrel said, how can this fellow save us? They despised him and brought him no gifts, but Saul kept silent. But things got even worse. Out of nowhere, the Ammonites besieged one of their towns, Jabesh Gilead. While this was just one town, at this stage, they had enemies, the Philistines on the west, And now they had this other mob on the east threatening Israel and Saul's leadership. In verse 2, the Ammonite leader Nahash offered a treaty wanting to gouge out their right eyes. Real nice. See, this is more than bringing disgrace and mutilation being pretty awful. This would have made Israel militarily weak. See, in battle, shields would cover the soldier's left eyes, So without their right eyes, their army was left very handicapped. See, Israel could be wiped out here. Literally, their survival was on the line. And so Israel's elders, they played it smart and engaged in a delay tactic, buying some time. If you ever not know what to do, always say, I will get back to you. Well, meanwhile, Saul, who had gone missing, came back from the fields to find out what is going on, to find the people weeping and despondent. But hearing this, the Spirit powerfully came on Saul and he got angry and pulled rank, rallied the troops across all Israel. See, God empowers the king. See, in the Old Testament, the Spirit's filling was temporary and restricted for certain leaders. But now, through Jesus, anyone who loves him is permanently empowered with the Holy Spirit. And our world says a leopard never changes its spots. But see the difference between Saul in his own strength versus God's strength. From cowardly hiding in the baggage room at his coronation to with a spirit boldly leading his people facing their enemy. And the outcome, people went from mocking Saul to unifying behind him. Picture the scene. All of Israel's fighting men gathered, over 300,000 of them energized, ready to fight their enemy. And in a clever military tactic, they said to the Ammonites, tomorrow we will surrender to you. But at night they split into three and they attacked them when they were completely unaware. We see almost in every superhero movie, the superhero has a specific role to save others. And while Saul's weakness was his character, most superheroes also have a weakness. For example, in Captain America, Steve Rogers wants to join the military, but he's rejected for being too short. So he joins this experimental program, making him a super soldier empowered for the specific task to lead the fight to take down their enemy, the Nazis. Well, likewise, God chose, empowered King Saul for a specific task to save his people. So God saves through the king. And in a drastic turnaround of events, the people went from weeping to elation and joy, now victorious over their enemy. So the people publicly now endorse Saul as their king and have a massive party and a great celebration. And despite Saul being chosen and empowered to save his people in this military victory, Saul's kingship was flawed from the start. And as we read on a spoiler alert, Saul horribly goes off the rails. Even David who takes over the model of kingship also epically fails the kingship test Set from Deuteronomy 17, their leadership flaws were operating in their own strength, rather in God's strength. So they were flawed. And while Saul saves them in this battle, the scoundrels earlier sledging, can this man save us, asks a good question. In Jesus, we see God chooses a human king in the line of Saul and David. And in the Gospels, we see Jesus' leadership on display. At his baptism, King Jesus is empowered with the Holy Spirit. And he then performs mighty acts to deliver his oppressed people. This king came with a specific task to save us. And while many rejected Jesus, this was actually rejecting God himself. And while Saul was handsome and tall and strong, Jesus wasn't our version of success. His appearance wasn't attractive. But only this king perfectly obeyed and relied on God. And in the big moment, Jesus didn't go missing, but courageously faced his cup, dying to defeat our enemies, sin and death, giving us the victory. And through the Holy Spirit, he empowers us to rely on God and not ourselves. See, the Spirit transforms our character. Just as Samuel warns Israel about rejecting God for Saul, in our self-sufficiency, we can be rejecting our saviour for the world's idea of success. Like my embarrassing mishap at the airport exposed my self-sufficiency, this is what our world preaches, right? Rely on yourself. This week, I saw a post on Instagram saying, depend on yourself, you'll never be let down. How has this mentality impacted our practices at work or our friendships when there's a disagreement or our use of money? See, this post speaks about how others sometimes let us down. But how about God? See, notice the difference between Saul operating in his strength compared to being empowered by the Spirit. His transformation was dramatic. In his own strength, he was a coward, Hiding in the big moment, yet in God's strength, he boldly took on responsibility. In verse 13, declaring grace over those slandering him on the day of salvation. In his own strength, Saul was looking inwardly, but with the spirit, he boldly trusted God and gave him the glory for the victory. See, with Saul, we see what happens when a flawed person is caught up in God's plans Practically, he saw things differently. He responded differently. And despite against all the odds, the spirit gave Saul a supernatural reliance on God, that he was with them and mighty to save them. So honestly, what does it look like relying on yourself? Giving up easily or blaming others when it's difficult. Having unrealistic expectations of people causing problems in your close relationships. Being so defined by your career or financial security that's having a negative impact on your family and friends. relying on charm to avoid any accountability. See, like soul hiding among the bags, there's certain moments in our lives that exposes cracks in our strengths, revealing our weaknesses. So what area of self-sufficiency in your life is the Holy Spirit exposing? and seeking to transform so we trust God more. See, when Saul is empowered by the Spirit, he knew that his one job was to direct Israel to their true king. And however we have been operating in our strength, Jesus calls us to repent. Instead of looking within, turning to King Jesus, who has already won the victory over sin. And in his grace, in Jesus means we too are chosen empowered and saved, which is far greater than our striving. A good friend that I respect over time, I noticed that they started to withdraw from church services and community and having conversations with them. I discovered they've been reading, watching different teaching online, and they're starting to promote some really dangerous beliefs. These weren't secondary matters that we can disagree on. They were central questions of faith, like who Jesus is. So in my mind, I'm like, I've got to change their thinking. So in my attempts through long SMS conversations and catch-ups in person, well, they became heated and didn't end well. By the way, calling someone a heretic generally doesn't go well for you. So I was despondent and frustrated because I couldn't do anything and I cared about them. But over time, leaving the door open in our friendship and entrusting them to God, uh, over some time we ended up actually catching up just to read the Bible regularly, no agendas, not trying to change their views. But over time, just letting God's word speak, the spirit actually highlighted things in my life that need to change. This actually benefited me. And one day they contacted me and they confessed all these things that they had been struggling with. And I'm like, whoa, see, there came real growth. Over time, they came back to church and turned away from some of those dangerous ideas about God. They, They even started serving. See, the point is doing it in my strength was a complete shambles. It completely blew up. It was only the Spirit's work empowering them that led them back to Jesus. And not just changing their doctrine, but transforming their real struggles in daily life and mine as well, as it turns out. Well, the spirit transforms our serving. Notice how God's transformation of Saul changes his leadership. It made a big difference in how Saul saw God himself as he stepped up as king. He rallied the troops, unifying God's people to serve. When I mentioned serving, maybe the image of Saul hiding in the back room is very relatable for you. But Saul's one flaw was avoiding what God had been calling him to. And Tim spoke about this last week, check out the sermon. And like with Saul, the spirit empowers us to serve in new ways. And if you're not serving, it's maybe 99% because either you are timid or too busy. But knowing our identity in King Jesus changes how we see God and ourselves and how we contribute. With the Spirit, we can step up and serve and risk our time and making mistakes because success is all about Jesus' glory. Maybe you've been prompted to serve in some specific way, like on parish council, on hospitality, singing, leading us in prayer, or being on a local missions team. But you might be uncertain about what to do. So my question for you is, what is in your hands right now? Your free time? Your passions, your abilities, what needs do you see that others miss? Also, what do other people encourage you in saying that you're really gifted at that? See, just as the Spirit enables Saul for a specific task, the Spirit empowers all believers with different gifts. And it's amazing how the Spirit fills the gap of our weaknesses, so we absolutely know it's not us, but God's power at work. If you're already serving, particularly if you're serving in more upfront and seen ways by others, this comes with certain temptations. In moments when feeling disheartened or unappreciated, consider who is your source of recognition, people or God? How are you being faithful in the hidden things like being holy and your prayer life where no one is looking So without the spirit, Saul looks within and is emotionally crippled and hiding. This doesn't go well. See, trusting in our skills and abilities leads to either being arrogant or despairing because our sinful hearts compare ourselves with other people. But in verse 13, notice how the spirit changes Saul's focus. It's no longer all about him, but but that God gave him the victory. See, if pride or despair has crept into our serving, let's make it about Jesus again. The Spirit transforms our mission. See, as soon as Saul was made king, there were significant challenges to his leadership. Slander from within and the Ammonite attack, catching Israel unawares, leaving the people in despair. See, the Spirit empowers us not to fight in some military battle, but to serve in the church and the world. Our church's vision is to make King Jesus known to those around us. But we face many challenges living in our society that is increasingly hostile to Christians. See, attitudes towards mainstream Christian beliefs have dramatically shifted in the last decade. After a long period of being tolerated at the center of the society, considered weird, but nice, now we're considered dangerous extremists at the fringe to be cancelled. We've seen an Essendon CEO lose his job after being on a church board, and you might be worried about your jobs. But given this, one risk is that we hide from the world. Maybe like Saul and myself, you've had a bag room moment where in your own strength, it's been a shambles. Maybe around family or friends, you've held back, sharing your beliefs or showing Jesus kindness, thinking it's just safer. Maybe in certain situations has exposed cracks in your character and you feel like you've let Jesus slide down. And So we hide in our secular culture. Instead of reaching out as a church, the temptation can be to shrink back and ignore those God has placed around us thinking it's all too hard. So we might want to recreate the old days. But Jesus calls us to be a city set on a hill to let our light shine before others. See, in our own strength we can also see ourselves as victims so we fight the world maybe through political activism while there's a place to engage in policy and governments ultimately our weapons is the sword of the spirit standing firm together in prayer bringing our world the gospel of peace even serving those who oppose us at the other extreme We can be like the world, tempted to walk away from unpopular things the Bible teaches, i.e. on human sexuality. Yet what Saul and the kings of Israel show is that deviating from obeying God's word is a complete mess. Only under King Jesus' rule does our world truly flourish as we experience his true freedom. See, Samuel warns Israel to keep focused on their true king who has saved them. Not just in the big moments like Saul's victory, but also in the unexpected, unseen things of everyday life. King Jesus is still on the throne, working behind the scenes, empowering us to be his hands and his feet. As we study and work and enjoy time with friends and take the kids to different activities during the week. Wonderfully, Jesus transforms our mistakes and our weaknesses. And there's a beautiful moment in chapter 11, verse 9, where Saul told the people, by the time the sun is hot tomorrow, you will be rescued. See, the victory had not yet happened yet, but the Spirit's power, they had an unshakable confidence that God was at work and mighty to save. Let's share this confidence in King Jesus. The Holy Spirit empowers us to live in God's strength transforming our character our serving and our mission amen thanks for joining us if you'd like to subscribe to this podcast you can do so in apple podcasts google podcasts spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from just search for st johns dunning creek